Are there banks that are too small to stress over and the Federal Reserve passes its own stress test? You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, before the show started, we were just watching a little bit of uh, Jimmy Fallon with mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger on there. Did you ever think that you would see Arnold Schwarzenegger on a QVC ad? I did not. Fake QVC ad. He's course. he's just owning it now. He's dynamic. He's out of politics. He's just he's just having a good time now. You got to respect you? that. I mean, if, if you were Arnold Schwarzenegger, just do whatever you want. Favorite Arnold movie? Oh, Terminator Two. Jingle all the way. The, <laughs> you the Christmas would. movie. You would. You would in your weird Christmas movie <laughs> exactly. proclivities. Let's get to the headlines. The first headline of the day is actually from Bankrate. This is a survey that Bankrate did. It's called the Financial Security Index Charts, as they put it. But what's really interesting to us here, I think, is the first question that Bankrate asked survey, survey participants. The question was, when was the last time you visited a bank branch or credit union branch to conduct personal financial business? This does not include using an ATM. Uh, and then they gave various options. 50% of the respondents said they hadn't been to a bank branch in the past 30 days for personal business. I, I think it's actually important that they separate that it's personal right. business as opposed to business business. Uh, have you been to a bank branch in the past 30 days? I have. I was at one on Saturday. But before that, I had probably hadn't been in several months. And again, that's very anecdotal evidence to say that I have been in a bank <laughs> branch. But we were, we were talking before, I think there is a balance here, right? We can't just say bank branches are completely useless. They're, they suck costs out of, from shareholders. Mm-hmm. There is some utility here. And 50% haven't been in a branch in the last month, but 50% have. So look at it that way. Half of customers. Well, I mean, what we've seen is we've seen Bank of America aggressively cutting back branches. That may be because Bank of America just has too many. But we've also seen PNC uh, cutting back branches and, and, and talking about uh, talking a lot about using more technology, trimming the branch network. Uh, I, I think that I think that's a, a good idea in some ways. Like you said, it's a balance. It's a good idea in some ways. But I think number one, you have to make sure that there are enough branches there that you can still service customers because it's still a convenience and it's still a good way to get customers in there. But you also have to make sure you have the technology there. I've been, uh, I've been using an all online bank for years now with with E-Trade, um, and some of it works out fine. But but for an all online bank, surprisingly enough, E-Trade doesn't have mobile deposit, mm-hmm. so I actually have to mail checks into them. That's so not that's, optimal. No, it is not optimal. So. I think to the extent that banks are moving away from having a big branch network, having a branch that's around the corner from everybody, they have to make sure that their technology is in order. Right, and this is a quote from Bank of America's ATM channel and retail distribution executive. So that's a long distribution title. That doesn't branches. Does that fit on a Bank of America part? likes long titles, but that's okay. And he says, simply put, mobile apps and the ATM are rapidly becoming alternative touch points for many customers. But does that mean that bank branches are dinosaurs? The answer is definitely no. So yes, they're pairing back, but I think this is also the first time that the banks are able to step back and ask themselves, should we have this many branches? Because you look at all the consolidation that happened in the 90s, in the 2000s, and then we had the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. So now they're sitting there saying, how do we cut costs? Let's look at our expense picture here. Oh, yeah, we probably have too many branches. So they're not getting rid of all of them, but I think they're just getting smarter, and that's a good thing. Next policy for Bank of America to save money Shorter titles. Yes. Imagine all the saved printing costs. 
Project New BAC. That's probably an action plan right there. Brian, Brian, give me a call. Give me a call. We'll talk it over. Second headline. Second headline is from Bloomberg. says, when is a bank too small to stress over? This is from Jonathan Wild, and he's talking about Zions, of course, the only bank to fail the stress test, and they're the smallest bank that did the stress test. So his question is, should we even care that they failed? I mean, if Zions failed, would that be catastrophic to the economy? And he says no. What do you think? I I wonder, have we run out of things to write about that we're now concerning ourselves with are too many banks in the stress tests? I mean, we're, what, six, six years, five, six years out from the financial crisis now, that's not that long of a time. And, and we've still got a lot of people saying, well, nothing has happened since the financial crisis and the government hasn't done enough. And now we're going to start questioning, well, should we not be stress testing some of these banks? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all for not having overwhelming regulatory regimes that, that have unnecessary costs. But at the same time, a little bit of extra caution, I think, is, is in line after the financial crisis. So I don't, I don't have a problem with having a few banks down near that $50 billion uh, limit that, no, it probably wouldn't, it, particularly if it was isolated. Mm-hmm. Particularly if it was isolated, I don't think it would pose a threat to the entire U.S. financial system. But, hey, I don't have a problem with it. What could potentially be a downside to this? Well, it's, it's extra cost for Zions. Right. Zions is probably not a fan of it, particularly right now, mm-hmm. because it's extra cost for them to, to have it all. They probably have hired specific employees to, to handle these stress tests, and now they're getting plastered all over the news for having failed the stress test. So this is, this is a lot of downside for Zions. Mm-hmm. But from a regulator's perspective, from a bank investor's perspective, I, I think it's fine. Okay. I have nothing to add. You've nothing. To, that sounds like Charlie Munger. Sounds like Charlie Munger exactly. at the at the. I'm basically restaurant. Charlie Munger. You're so basically Charlie. Munger. Than Does that make that. me Warren Buffett? I don't know about that. <laughs> Headline number three. We're going to CNN Money, or I guess this is Fortune by way of CNN Money. Federal Reserve passes its own stress test. The subheadline is: We know you're shocked. Economists at the San Francisco Fed said the central bank is very unlikely to lose money on its four trillion dollar portfolio. What's the story here, David? Really, really quick background on the portfolio. When we talk about QE, printing money, what is that money? Where does that money go? That money goes from buying assets that the Fed now holds onto their balance sheet. Like any other asset that a bank holds, like any other company holds, that can fluctuate in value. So the stress test was basically saying, if interest rates do this, if this happens, what happens to the value of the portfolio? And those assets, primarily U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage-backed securities that are backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Right which in turn are backed by the federal government. Exactly. So the same thing that we talk about, banks can see the value of their securities go down. The Fed can see the exact same thing. It's the same type of securities. They're not any different that the Fed are holding. So they just ran a scenario. Is it possible for, that the Fed would lose a lot of money and put, I guess, taxpayers on the hook for Fed expenses? Well, kind of, sort of. In theory. Of. The, the, the Fed passes on its pro, uh, profits to the right. Treasury, so it would pass on its losses as well. Right. But the test, not surprisingly, they said, we think we're going to be okay. I, I, I think I'm going to believe them. If anyone's going to understand the balance sheet of the Fed, it's going to be the Fed economists. But they wouldn't have. Do you think they would have structured it that way, such that they'd come out and say, "Yeah, we'll probably lose some money." <laughs> probably not. But <laughs> they said there's about a 10 percent chance that the bond portfolio uh, loses money. I think an important thing to keep in mind here too is that 
unlike maybe some other financial businesses, other businesses that might own bonds uh, like the Fed does, they don't have to, they're, they're not going to be in a situation where they have to sell the bonds. Mm-hmm. So they can hold these to maturity. So when you think about the Fed losing money on its bond portfolio, if they just hold the securities to maturity mm-hmm. and the, the counterparty, which in basically all cases here is the federal government, doesn't default, then you're not losing money. Exactly. Focus for today, David, you're in the hot seat. It's your day for a stock pitch. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it is. This is gonna be this is gonna be a total surprise. What, what sound? What sound? We're gonna go with this. What do we got? Going with uh, HDFC Bank, the Indian bank. Interesting. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. You did. You said I this is to, one that you wanted to research for. I wanted to learn more about. Wait a minute. Following up. Follow up. I love what that. I do. So that's what you get if you listen to the show regularly. You get to see that some is what nuggets. you get from from David. From David. Just that. From David. Just from, that. From me, I'll, I'll say things and then just let them go. Yeah. You, you though, you say things and you follow up. I love it. This is the largest private sector bank in India by market cap. And when you look at the business mix, it reminds me a little bit of Wells Fargo. If I can go there. You just said the W word. I <laughs> said the W word. Uh, retail banking, wholesale banking, treasury services, they really are in every aspect of the banking world there. Pretty strong deposit franchise. Loan to deposit ratio is only around 90%, despite loan growth being very, very solid okay. because the economy of India is growing faster than the U.S. Not significantly faster, but still faster, and loan growth is much healthier there than it is here. But it's not just loans that they're going out and making. They have a really nice chunk of fee-based businesses. Around 30% of revenue are fee businesses, well, which is nice. kind of fee businesses? Any fee businesses that wholesale... Typical. Ba- whole, yeah, typical okay. uh, fee-based So it would be like there. wealth management? More kind of the inner workings of the money system. Okay. Transfers and stuff like oh, that. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, so that's around 30% of the revenue. Looking at the further down the income statement there, efficiency ratio, 42%. Wow. A pre-provision, so I'm not factoring provisions oh, okay. here. So basically just operating expenses over that pre-provision revenue. Okay. 42 plus, 42% still very, very impressive there. So very profitable bank. Return on assets around 1.8%. Wow. Very strong. Okay. Uh, really interested in the management here. The CEO has been there since day one. This bank was started in 1994. Uh, so he's been, they call him the... Man- the very beginning. Very beginning. Okay. They call him managing director. It's basically the same thing as the CEO in their language there. I'm going to try to... Pre- I pronounce his name here, so bear Good with luck. me. Uh, Aditya Puri. Okay. Close enough. Been there since day one. He's in his early 60s. Uh, obviously led the bank to incredible success since the beginning there. Did you get a chance to look at how much stock in the bank he owns? Not a huge portion. Okay. But I don't know enough about the story to see if that's normal or not. Okay. In full disclosure. So he's in his early 60s. He's been a great CEO. Uh, but they recently promote, promoted another fellow. His name is... Parish Sukhthankar. Okay. Hope I got that right. Uh, to deputy managing director. It's basically the spot where he's going to step in. And, and he's been there since the beginning. He's a younger guy, only around 51 years old. Okay. Uh, spent time at City, Citibank before coming over here in 1994. Uh, he already uh, handles all of the investor relations. He's, on, he's the guy on the call. So they already have a guy basically waiting to step in. He's the guy behind the he's guy. He's the guy behind the guy. And okay. he's basically... But then he's going to be the guy. He's basically going to be the guy. He is, he's kind of the guy already. He's kind of the guy. 
already. The guy behind the guy is the guy. Uh, so it seems like a very capable management team that's been around for a while, understands the culture, and has obviously grown them uh, through disciplined banking to get to this point. Did you see how, how the bank performed during the, during the U.S. financial crisis, which was really a global financial crisis? Pretty similar to what you would see from most banks. Most I mean, banks, not meaning like Wells Fargo most banks, or most banks like Bank of America most banks? I would say more like Wells Fargo. Okay. Yes. So, so somewhere in between. Yes. It, over the last 10 years, it's been a very successful stock and bank tone. I, I mean, you, you've, you're selling me pretty well here. So you, you've got a, a growing bank, mm-hmm. good deposit franchise, mix of businesses in an economy that's, that's growing well. has a lot of potential, let's has, say that. It does have potential. Potential. It's had potential for a long time. <laughs> uh, great efficiency ratio mm-hmm. and a long-term dedicated management team. So what, what's the valuation like, first of all? And then what would keep you up at night about owning this? Get to the valuation. Stock trades at 3.8 times book value. Oh, okay. So pretty healthy. Yeah. But when you consider the growth that you're getting here, like I said, return on assets 1.8, mm-hmm. return on equity uh, close to 20% there. Okay. So when you have those growth rates, I think you can still be very successful if you're holding this for a long period of time. Okay. I mean, if you get 18% book value growth over five years, and even if that multiple falls to, to three times, which mm-hmm. would still be which is reasonable, I think. That would get you around 13% annualized returns. Okay. So the valuation looks scary on the front. I know you, th- that 3.8 really scares you. But it, doesn't, it doesn't scare me. It's just, I'm not like, oh, yeah, no. It's not, it's a, not like, ah. But this, there's no reason for this bank to be trading at a really depressed multiple. Yes, there is, so that I can buy it at a discount. <laughs> there's that. Um, I really think if you take a, a long-term view here and are willing to hold this, because... I don't know everything there is to know about the Indian economy. Really? Like you said. There's, I don't. <laughs> like you said, it's been, had a lot of potential for a long time. It still has a lot of potential, but things can happen. This is a holding that if, if I think I were to buy it, this has to be a decade-long holding, multi-decade here, if this is something you're interested in. Okay. Wrapping it up, is this, is this a bank that you'd put money on? Or, I'm not ready yet. Okay, you're not ready yet. Interested. What else do you need to know? I would like to dig into the valuation a little bit more. Okay. And let, let me say one thing. Look at the non-performing assets. Because it's ticked up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not significantly, but that is something that we need to be aware of with a bank that's growing very rapidly. Sure. Uh, and if that starts to go up, that can be a bad thing. So All right. That's something worth looking into a little bit more, but it looks interesting. Strong pitch. I like it. H, it's HDFC, oh, right? I should say the ADR uh, ticker here that you can buy is HDB. 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 HDFC Bank Trading HDB. Yeah, here in the U.S. All righty. Nice work, David. All right. We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We love getting emails. We love getting questions. We love getting comments. We love getting everything. Today's question comes from Dave. Dave writes, I'm a relatively new podcast subscriber, but really enjoy listening to your perspectives on the show. I've purchased a few stocks over the last few years, but mostly bought on hunches rather than financial data from a 10K. This might be too much to sum up on air, but what do you look for in a 10K statement before making a buy? How relevant of a factor is a 10K in your decision making? Uh, So 
the first thing I'll say is thank you, Dave, for a great question. Mm-hmm. I think this is probably something that a lot of investors wonder about. What I'll say is let, let me expand the, the conversation just a little bit beyond the 10K to just fundamental data in general, getting to know the company, getting to know uh, the financials of the company. A 10K can end up, can end up being a little bit of a, uh, going down a rabbit hole sometimes. You look at Bank of America's 10K, mm-hmm. for instance. I think the last iteration was something like 300 pages. I actually made my way through. It might have been, even been more. I made my way through the entire thing. This year, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm not reading the entire 2013 Bank of America 10K. Because they've got to have everything in there. I mean, got to have everything, everything in there, in or there. they will get, they, uh, they have the potential to get sued. A few areas of the 10K that I tend to focus on, if I'm not familiar with the company, there's a business section up front. That's usually pretty good. The management discussion and analysis, that's good in general. That's good every year to read. The risks, uh, the risk factors section, that can, that can be pretty good. Some of the risk factors are a little bit obvious, and, but, but as you get down into the risk factors, they raise some points and discuss through them. Uh, good things to know, so the mm-hmm. risk factors section. Oh, I would say always put the risks in perspective, though, because they have to list basically everything you can Right, imagine. exactly. Yeah, you do have you to. Don't want it, like, it can sound really scary mm-hmm. to be like, oh, my gosh, if this happens, it's going to go to zero. Yep. Put it in perspective. If this happens, how much does that impact yep. the business there? Um, and finally, obviously, the, the financials are important, but also the notes to the financials uh, to, to get some context on where those financial numbers are coming from. Uh, then outside of the 10K, well, I'll let you address the 10K first. No, keep going. Keep going. Well, That's I was just going to say, outside of the 10K, there's also conference calls. Conference yes. calls give you a little bit more color on the business. Uh, you can go onto a company's investor relations website and get recent presentations. So they'll go to these investor conferences and make up these pretty presentations with lots of pictures and graphs and charts. And that can actually give you a much better overview of the business sometimes than even the 10K can. So so keep an eye out for those. And finally, proxy statements. Mm -hmm. Proxy statements give you a good uh, look at the management team, the board of directors, and also how the management team is compensated. Uh, If we go back to the classic follow the money, that works a lot in investing where you you look at the management team, you look at how they're compensated, how their compensation is determined, you follow that money, Mm -hmm. that's often a good way to go. I like the presentations. I don't, I'm not going to base an entire investment You like like pictures. I like pictures. You're a picture guy. You can read it and get a, obviously they're going to paint it in a really good picture for themselves because they're making the presentation. It's the kind of balance point to the risk factor section. So maybe start with that and then work to the 10K from things that pique your interest. Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good plan. I like that. The game. All right, game for today. We've got a little bit of would-you-rather, classic would-you-rather rules. We say one thing, we say another thing. Then you got to pick which one you want. Let's do it. First one, assuming you were paid 50% of your salary in stock, would you rather work at Goldman Sachs or Tesla? David. I'm going to go with Tesla. Seems like a cool place to work, and that's the only reason why I would rather have the Goldman Sachs stock than Tesla stock. Tesla, cool place to work. That's my answer. What do you got? <sighs> this, is a, this is a tough one for me. Um, I don't know how much, of, how much the stock plays into it. I, I think I, I'd, rather, I'd rather own Goldman Sachs stock than Tesla stock right now, uh, just because I understand Goldman Sachs more than anything else. Um, it would depend on what I was doing at Tesla. I don't know that it had much value mm-hmm. at Tesla. I think I'd go with Goldman Sachs. Um, because I understand that business more. I, I know more of, of what I'd be doing. But also, having Goldman Sachs on your resume... It's You'd pretty... be the test driver at Tesla. 
I'd be the That's test job. I don't really like driving that okay. much. I, I'm not really into cars. Not for you, then. No, it's not for me. So I'm going Goldman Sachs. All right, second, second scenario. scenario. Would you rather be paid 100% in Berkshire Hathaway or Annaly Capital Stock in your current position and you can't sell for five years? So you, all, your, all your salary is deferred for five years, but mm-hmm. in the meantime, it's being put into Berkshire or Annaly. But you get the dividend with Annaly. Right, right, right. So we, we set that up exactly for that reason. I'm actually, I'm going to go with Annaly. Okay. I'm going to go with Annaly because I think it's a, among the mortgage REITs, I think it's a well-run mortgage REIT. It's maybe a little bit riskier on the capital gains front, like the, the actual amount that's, mm-hmm. I like the idea that you're getting that income and I feel fairly confident that Annaly will keep up uh, a dividend. And, and there's been a lot of dividend cuts at Annaly recently. Think that's nearing the end, if not at the end. Um, valuation is attractive today, so I'd, I'd feel pretty confident getting that. Berkshire, on the other hand, can't say anything bad about it, but you're really looking five years out, and I'd basically be eating ramen every night. Well, unlike you, I saved my money, have that big emergency fund, so I don't need the dividend. This is five years we're talking about. It's got a big nest egg. It's like an ostrich egg. Okay. I'm going with... That's why Merrill Edge loves you so much. <laughs> exactly. I'm going, I'm going with Berkshire uh, just because of the security there. Because I'm not going to get that dividend for five years, I'm going to need no. to be certain that I'm feeling good about where my holdings will be in five years. I think Berkshire has what it takes to either stay with the market, slightly outperform the market over the next five years. I feel good about it. Do you own Berkshire in your own portfolio? Yes. You do? Yes. Since when? Since, since recently. You do, yeah, just recently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you owned Annaly before that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Third scenario. Don't ask questions. Third scenario. <laughs> Would you rather see Citigroup closing its international operations or Wells Fargo opening international operations? I don't own either of these. You own both. I do. You don't own either of them? No. no. So, so this is, is it closing in its entirety? No, just pairing back. Pairing back. Um, I think that I'd rather see City pairing back. Could go either way, but I think I'd rather see City pairing back. It's already doing some of that. I think I'd be more okay with with seeing it do more of that. Well, Wells Fargo is is very U.S. focused. Um, I, I just don't know that it has its sights set uh, outside it, of the. We're US. not saying that it's going to. Just saying it in theory. Uh, exactly. I'm going with Wells Fargo, and you're the one who says. Oh, you go internationally, a good bank is a good bank no matter where it is. Wells Fargo is a good bank. What's to keep them from being a good bank in other parts of the world? Depends on who they hire. Not hiring you. All right, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. <laughs> All right, I've got a bonus one here that you scribble it out on my paper, but I'm bringing it up anyway. Graphic or not, would you rather own B of I stock or have a D- B of I debit card? That, this is Bank of Internet, sorry. This is B of, B of I holding, ticker symbol. Do I have to pay for B. the stock or is it just given to me? No, you gotta you gotta buy this. Oh, I'd rather have the debit card. So you'd rather have it. You were telling me about the advantageous rates you get by using a debit card at B of I. It's like gamified. Yeah. I, nice. I just signed up for a B of I uh, checking account. It's like gamified how you get these how you get the the returns on your deposits. Mm-hmm. You gotta do certain things every month. It's fun. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if, if I'd characterize it as fun. It's interesting. You get paid. All right, let's finish it off in the Twitter sphere. David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from John Carney at Carney. Time to figure out why Kavanaugh left J.P. Morgan, where he was thought to be next in line for top spot. Another departure. Is it Mike Kavanaugh? Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. 
is a co-head of investment banking and corporate banking at J.P. Morgan. He's out. Surprising. He left. I thought it was surprising. Concerned? Was... Starting to get concerned? We saw Frank Bisignano leave. Now we see Kavanaugh leaving. I, I don't know that I'd say I'm concerned. I, there's, is there signs that, that Jamie Dimon is getting ready to leave? It may be that these guys get up towards the top, and they look at Dimon, who's a pretty young guy, mm-hmm by uh, CEO standards, say, well, he's not going anywhere anytime soon, so if I want to continue to move up the corporate ladder, I've got to go somewhere else. Right. And that's, that's reasonable. And, and it's on Diamond and it's on the management team as a whole to continue to develop the bench at J.P. Morgan. Um, and this is just something that I think is inevitable when you have a CEO that's sticking in. So you don't think Jamie Dimon is going, going, in, going away anytime soon? I don't think so. Why would he? I don't think he? so either. That's a good point. Why would he? Everyone else, like, what else is he going to do? It's like, a, it's like a basketball coach, like Coach K. People are like, maybe he's going to retire. What's he going to go do? Yeah. Go play golf? Yeah. No. What's uh, Warren Buffett? Right. This Why, is their life. Yeah. This is, this is what they do. Yeah. All right, second tweet. It's from uh, Jason Dunn. That's at JB Dunn. Latest smartwatch design, and I think we've got a picture here. It's a, a picture of a watch drawn onto somebody's <laughs> wrist, and it says, you always have email. Was that saying, like, you always have email, or, like, I always have email. I think it's the latter. Okay. I think it's the latter that you can pretty much count on. And that you're going to have an email. Yeah, that's my, that's, I can count on my smartphone for that every time I turn it on. Always have email. Very true. Next tweet. Third tweet. From one fashion thing to another. This is from Mashable. Google to offer Ray-Ban and Oakley versions of Glass. We also have a picture of this. So Google Glass taking a little more fashionable look here on a Ashton Kutcher lookalike, I guess. Yeah, what's what's he doing here? Is that like a big like, bag around like him? Hauling a tarp? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That. Anyway, he's wearing Google Glass. I guess a little more fashionable. I guess if you're hauling a tarp, you'd you, want Google Glass so you have something to occupy. Yourself. You buying one of those? Uh, I, I think I could. Well, they're not for sale, right? I, I have no. I don't know. I don't follow tech trends anymore. Hmm. My my days of buying the hottest new gadgets are ended behind with me. Atari. Ended with yeah, with Atari exactly. Thanks, yeah. man. I appreciate that. But but I could. I've actually tried it. Eric Bleeker, uh, one of our uh, tech analysts and, and head of uh, Fool.com, uh, mm-hmm. Fool.com here, he brought it, he got a Google Glass, brought it in. I thought it was pretty cool. That's cool. Leave I'll it just give it some time. Yeah. Next tweet. Here we have, this is the brackets set up by Realty Income. This is, they tweeted this out. This is kind of convoluted, but they had a showdown of the teams in the NCAA Sweet 16. Sweet 16. And they're, they're doing it by, oh, I, I forget. Like rental income? It was rental income. House uh, flipping profitability? Yep. Uh, house affordability. But each round was something different, and they eventually crowned a winner. And the winner here is Michigan State. Based on housing affordability. Right. So it, it beat Tennessee on housing affordability. So Michigan the, State is in East Lansing? I think so, yeah. That sounds right. Or Michigan is. I don't know. But yeah. it's in Michigan. Right. I know that. Uh, it's, it's season for brackets. so Everybody's got, got another one here. Final tweet. Final tweet. This is from Adam Very. He says, surprising news. Anchorman director Adam McKay to adapt and direct Michael Lewis's bestseller on the 2008 financial crisis, The Big Short. So Adam McKay, director of Anchorman and what else? Bunch of stuff. Anchorman. 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 Maybe Anchorman 2. Yeah. Did you do Anchorman too? He did some other stuff too. Okay. All comedy, but big short. You gonna see it? Yeah, I'm gonna have to. 
I'm gonna have to. But but having having read it, I, I'm kind of wondering how it's gonna be adapted. Um, Michael Lewis's books have turned into some darn good movies, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see how Big Short works out. Actually, I haven't never read the book, so you should read the book. That's I'll watch like the movie idea. instead. It's quicker. You should do both. It doesn't take that much time. Come on. It's a good book. It's a good read. This is Michael Lewis. Okay. About. If Michael Lewis comes on the show, I'll read his book. <laughs> Maybe that'll... You hear, the, you hear that, Michael? Maybe. To get one more person to read your book, all you have to do is come We'll on get him show. on here one day. Yeah, I think so. We will. All right, that's the show for today. Uh, you can find us on iTunes if you're not already listening to the podcast version. Leave us a rating while you're there. And, of course, you can tweet on us. Uh, tweet at us. <laughs> tweet on us. You can tweet on him. Don't tweet on me. <laughs> you can tweet at us or on me. Uh, we're at TMF Financials. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen, and we'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.